Welcome to the Power Balance Podcast with Katherine Craig, CEO of Spearhead Executive Coaching. Spearhead Executive Coaching is committed to developing excellent leaders at all levels to create healthy and profitable organizations. Want to grow your leaders through one-on-one coaching or an interactive workshop? Contact Katherine at info at spearheadexecutivecoaching.com. of a great initiative you want to implement or have been tasked to implement and it fell flat? It's happened to me and I'm guessing it's happened to you too. I think it's happened to every leader. It's really discouraging and can make for some very uncomfortable meetings as you're asked to explain why the plan didn't get off the ground. Most often we attribute the failure to unexpected gaps, a poor choice to change management model, or a disengaged staff. But what if it was none of those? After thousands of hours researching change, leading change for my own programs, and leading change for client organizations, I can tell you the key secret to successful change implementation is the focus on different types of adapters. A lot's been published on adapters. Some even call them adopters. Same thing. We each approach change at a different pace with different amounts of curiosity and interest. I propose three types of adapters, early, middle, and late. And here's the secret for success. Strategically build the types of adapters into your change implementation plan. Early adapters will run your pilot. Middle adapters build the infrastructure. And late adapters keep it going for the long haul. In this podcast, I chat with leaders in industry and their take on implementing change in adapters. I hope you enjoy listening to these interesting and accomplished leaders as much as I did. Hi, I'm Catherine Craig. Today we're taping from Rogers Arena in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my good friends and colleagues from the Canucks. Hi, uh, my name is Mike Cosentino. I'm the Vice President of Ticket and Suite Sales and Service. I've been with the Canucks for about two years. Uh, before that, I've come from Toronto, worked for a company called Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment where I did everything from selling tickets for the Raptors to uh, selling sponsorships for four sports teams there to running the Marlies, the AHL business there, and overseeing all of their ticket and suite sales business uh, with their hockey team, the Leafs, Raptors, uh, Marlies, and Toronto FC. But now I'm pleased to be in Vancouver and loving every moment of working with the Canucks. Hi, I'm Chris Brumwell. I'm a Vice President of Communications and Community Partnerships here with the Canucks, so I I connect uh, closely with the media that cover our team, um, and on the community side, we're the group that helps um, helps the players with their public appearances and a variety of other things, including raising money for the Canucks for Kids Fund, which goes towards children's charities in BC. Um, I think this is my 14th year. I've been here in nice. two different tours of duty. I started. Um, I worked here for nine years and then left to do a few other things, including working on the 2010 Olympic Games. Um, and a few other places, uh, Lululemon was one stop as well. And then I've been back for four or five years now. I've lost count. So, <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining me today. So we're going to be talking about leaders and leaders implementing change. And I want to kick this off with a quote that um, from Bob Myers, who's GM of the Golden State Warriors. And here's his quote. In the moments of greatest adversity, it's the best time to evaluate people because that's when you really find out the fabric 
of who someone is and who your team is. What do you guys think about that? Yes, no, indifferent? I agree. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I think um, when the chips are down, uh, when things are at its most stressful, when change is happening, that's, that's when leaders step up within the group. Um, that's, that's when magic can happen too. And you see who steps up to the opportunity and, um, and, and that's a good place to be. And, and I think, um, you know, I've, I've heard that out on that edge of, of being mm-hmm. in a risky situation is, uh, is where you can find out, uh, most about yourself and, and grow the most. And, and really that's, that's an exciting place. That's an exciting place for me. That's where I want our team to be. And, uh, and we all want our people to be, to be growing and learning and, um, and doing great things. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting that that came from that individual because um, you know, I, I, I can see them doing that. Absolutely. And that's the thing is that, you know, adversity, they call it a burning platform, right, is another phrase for it. And that's when our brain is cooking the fastest. We actually don't grow very much when everything's going well. We tend to get a bit complacent. Yeah, um, you know, Mike just made a flatline time. Yes, we, we flatline. Remember, they can't see your hands. Right, true. <laughs> so So we, we flatline. And But when we're on this burning platform, we start, it, it really makes the ground, as you said, quite ripe for really interesting changes and really magical changes. So that's a neat segue into what I wanted to chat with you guys about today in conversation is leading these changes and how to lead these changes well. Um, so, you know, as administrative leaders in the NHL, you have to deal with like roller coaster of change. Like, it just seems like it's, 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 part of our part of the landscape as it is and we've we've talked about the necessary headspace that a leader needs that let me let me do this in a nutshell though just to bring us up to speed we have all these different change models and what it's missing is how what the headspace the leader is in before the change model basically noting that the people you're addressing are not a homogeneous group. They fall into three different types of groups, three different types of adapters. Now, for those of you that are listening to this and want to send me a whole bunch of letters after saying it's not adapter, it's adopter. You can use either. You can use either adapter makes sense to me because I think of people evolving into stuff rather than grabbing on, but whatever makes sense for you guys, we will be using it interchangeably in this podcast. So in a nutshell, the challenge that leaders fail is that when they have this opportunity for growth, you know, be it from adversity or they wake up on a sunny day and say like, I got it. All right. They focus on the fabulous idea and they stop thinking about their audience. It all becomes about the idea. So like any good speaker knows, the cardinal rule is to understand and speak to the audience if you want to be successful. But when we're chasing the idea, we're like a dog with a bone, right? We forget the cardinal rule. We're so excited about our idea. We think we have genius at stake here, and we expect everybody else will automatically hop on after lunch on Thursday. We're going to say our genius. I am your leader. I have an idea. Walk this way. And then when they don't all just hop on board at that second, when you see a couple of people go, yeah, that's really great. But then there's a couple of people that are like, huh, 
I had some questions. You're like, that wasn't what I was thinking. I thought we were past the questions and on to you are a true genius, Mike. You know? And then somebody else says, Chris, no, it'll never work. You know, why would we change it just because we've done it in the past? It's the three different types of adapters that are showing their faces is what we're seeing. Okay? But leaders miss this part. They go, you know what? And they phone me all the time as a coach going, I had this great idea. The organization put so much money behind it. And you know what? The team was just apathetic. Everybody was apathetic. The idea failed. The other failed. And it wasn't that. We failed the people as leaders because we weren't watching them. We weren't leading to what they, how they naturally are. So let's look strategically at that audience, specifically just the three types of adapters. We have early, middle, late. We know that there's lots of research on this where people pick multiple more types of adapters. I'm a simple creature. Three works just fine. So the early people, they're easy to see. And you guys may have seen them in your teams where they're like, you say an idea and they like, that is genius. Your mother was right. You are special, right? Can you think of people like that on your team? Yeah, Usually for sure. it comes right out. See, this is the beauty of this. As a leader, you don't have to buy any tools or have any consultant like me come in to identify them. They're right in front of you. They're always like, that's cool. I got an idea. They're always your idea people. And they are your first wave of implementation. They're going to be out there first. Let them run. As a leader, pick them. They're really highly innovative. They give you all those early results. The downside strategically as a leader, they look before they leap. They're less liable to follow rules. And as one of these people, I'll tell you, I really hate meetings. You're going to get a bit of scope creep. Because remember, think of them as pioneers. You've laid out an idea. I have this genius idea. But, you know, it doesn't have every little bump picked. And they're going to implement first. So they're adapting as they go, and they're building it as they go. It's sort of, these are probably the same people that found 6,000 uses for duct tape and then published the book on it. Right! We could make a wallet of this. Everybody else is still using it as regular tape. They're making wallets and sneakers out of it. So the middle, can you think of somebody like this? <laughs> so the middle people... This is your second wave of implementation. As a leader, don't expect them to roll on all at the same time. Plan for the different timing of it. It's a stepped process. The middle people, they just have questions. They really like change too. They don't have a problem with change. They're asking questions because their pace is different than the early people. They're going to walk up to it, and they're great because they're going to ask those questions that need to be said. They're not going to give you scope creep. They really, they're good at rules. They're good at committees. This is really good meat and potatoes people, okay? And so they build that infrastructure. They provide diligence. They're going to have good questions, and they're waiting for that first wave of those early adapters to be over because the early adapters are bringing, answering those questions that they had. All right? Mm, the curses of the middle people, they're slower to the plate. Don't be discouraged as a leader, okay? They're a little less innovative, a little more risk-adverse, and they're not going to commit to you right on the spot. The last group, late adapters. 
These are totally different, these, this group, from the first two groups. First two groups like change. The late adapters do not like change. They actually don't have the tools generally to deal with change. So they go into fight or flight. It's an amygdala hijacking. So what to, what have you heard your late adapters say? Just think offhand, what would they say? Because they all say the same thing. That can't be done. That can't be done. Won't work. Won't work. Tried it that way before. Tried it that way before. No money. No time. No, it'll, it'll be no any, it's just no, 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 no. And sometimes left unattended, if you try and marginalize these people, it can cause a real poisoned well environment, right? Because they're frightened. They have nothing but time and energy to make you stop talking about this change. They, you have them really frightened. There's going to be a lot, an awful lot of energy to stop or at the very least slow this train down. So... Treat them like somebody who's frightened. We often treat them as an obstacle to push to the side, to manhandle, to manipulate. No, talk to them. You know what to do with somebody who's a little bit anxious or nervous about something. We talk to them quietly. We lead them up to it. We don't surprise them in front of a whole group of people. You know, if you were afraid of snakes, you wouldn't want your boss to walk in and throw a snake on your lap. Right? You might go, ha, and jump up, and you would be really worried every time that person came in the room. They're like, ah, whatever, get over it, you big baby. We wouldn't do it. But change is like that. So we just have to be a little bit slower with it. Now I'm interested in your, ex your experiences about change. So we've done all this, and how this strategic perspective regarding the three types of adapters might have changed the, the history of, or changed the course of future changes. So, here we go. I want to know one of your earliest, most formative leadership experiences as a leader or a follower. Who wants to go first? I can start. Okay, Chris. This is Chris. Um, my, my memory when I read this question first, the first thing that came to mind was uh, working on the 2010 games and I, I I don't think John would mind me talking about this John Furlong was the CEO right and he was the one who um, led the bid committee uh, won the bid with lots of teamwork obviously but he was the the public face and and uh, the CEO of the bid if I'm not mistaken and then he was the CEO of the organizing committee all the way through which is a rarity these days and his vision, the collective vision, was to make the 2010 Games Canada's Games. So if you think back to other Olympic Games like Torino or um, Salt Lake City, those kinds of things. Salt Lake City is an example, 2002. It was Salt Lake City's Games. It wasn't America's Games, mm -hmm. right? I see. And so he wanted to he wanted to, uh, to capture the imagination of the entire country, which is a big deal and a big reach. This is a big country. And... Um, that was a big mandate uh, that I think put an incredible amount of pressure on everybody to try and think beyond just the boundaries of Vancouver and Whistler and and, and I remember many times and, and it was a life-changing experience working through the games but with John as the leader um, in your head when times got tough you have the conversation like isn't excellent excellent enough like we 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 could we're going to put on the olympic games like this and the paralympic games this is going to be incredible and you know hopefully newfoundland comes around but but really the people who are going to be impacted the most are the people here in vancouver 
and he stuck with it and he he never wavered and that was the overarching um, vision that he and the collective group had and I know there were senior officials that questioned it along the way and he stuck with it and you know what it was Canada if you think back to Sidney Crosby's goal and the celebration across the country from coast to coast to coast it, it was they were Canada's games and it worked and so that to me um, proved and was I don't know if it was one of my earliest formative leadership experiences, but I was obviously a follower in, in for him. And but it helped shape my belief in sticking with a vision, even through the most um, pointed questions or the the most adversity. Because in the end, if you really believe in it, um, you know, there's lots of examples of where that's come. It, it comes true. That's great. Me, Mike. I would say um, I'd have to go back to my days um, as I was transitioning from a salesperson. Um, I, like I said, I, I spent a good portion of my, the start of my career as a, a salesperson within tickets, and then I sold sponsorships. And then I wanted to get some uh, experience in um, in managing people, so I took a job um, selling, or sorry, uh, managing a team of eight for the Toronto Marlies uh, within. A, about a week and a half of taking that job, my boss uh, got sick and she had to go on leave. And I was handpicked to lead the AHL Marley's business. Congratulations, yeah, you're business. promoted. Congratulations, Welcome on board. I'm promoted. <laughs> and I had gone from not having any direct reports and being a, a sales guy to uh, having a team of almost 30 people and not having, um, not having uh, managed a person before that. So what I remember from that experience was... Um, I sat down with, uh, I was reporting into the chief operating officer all of a sudden. And um, I met with him four o'clock uh, on a weekday. We sat down and um, he was a pretty intimidating guy and a guy that I normally wouldn't have had a lot of time with. But he sat me down and uh, he said, we're going to spend uh, a lot of time together. And he said, I could be here uh, until pretty late at night. I'm not going to get to everything on my desk. He said, Mike, the most valuable time I can spend during the course of my day is with you, with my people. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment that helped form me as a leader throughout my career because I've taken that philosophy into every leadership situation that, that I've been in. And so we proceeded to stay there for another three and a half hours. He laid out his philosophy as a, as a leader, uh, what it would take to be a successful leader in my position, um, the fact that I need to articulate a vision. Um, articulate a, a, va- a set of values for the for the business, and he laid it all out. And uh, I never once felt that I didn't uh, have his support. And so, like I said, I've I've tried to carry that on, um, whether that's in regular one-on-ones with people, um, or scheduling office hours where, where people can book time with me, um, or just or just being open to having one-on-one conversations and listening to people. Um, you have to be present. You have to be listening. You have to be fully there. And when you're in those positions, I, I really think that um, kind of a magic can happen between you and your people. So I've taken that philosophy throughout my career. So you guys being both VPs, you know, that's pretty high up in the, the food chain, as it were. Are you bet, Do you like it better, leading change or following? <laughs> Does it come with the territory that is VPs? You're, well, you're so comfortable in the driver's seat that you're kind of uncomfortable when you're not? I, I thought about this a little bit after, um, 
looking at the question and not to jump ahead, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> I'm have, to jump ahead, but I'm going to, yeah. but I, I wouldn't say my, I wouldn't have initially thought of myself as a, an, um, an early adapter. Right. Um, but I, I think I am with the, with a little, um, sprinkle of, of a middle. Um, yeah. and so if, if someone does come to me, if I went to a meeting with, with Mike and he said, oh, I've got an idea. I think this is really going to work. This, I think it's a pretty good chance that I'm going to say, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so he'd I, feel really good about that. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah. I love this guy. That's why we get along so <laughs> well. Probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're the best. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, man, you're so full of it. <laughs> um, so I would say, uh, I, I would say I, I would find it more challenging to lead change than to follow just because that's my nature. But I, I can lead change, but that I fall into the into the into the group that would would uh, would would fall, would would be excited about a new idea, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, it's 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 almost like a like a high that you get on when you're leading leading change. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I say this: the, the job that I took on. Uh, Back, back that I described earlier um, with our AHL club in Toronto, uh, we were a bottom to middle team. Uh, we weren't looked on favorably within the league as far as business practices. We weren't cutting edge. And going in, what I saw was opportunity. And, um, and through leading change, through setting a higher bar for our people, uh, through setting a far-reaching vision of what we were going to be and, where, and, and what we were all about, um, Within four years, we were AHL Team of the Year, and we were at the top of the league within attendance and sales. And um, and I and that was a pretty special feeling, a pretty special place. But it also reinforced to me, okay, I can do this. And 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 you crave it to do it again. And right. so I kind of have this this feeling of me. If it's not leading change, it's putting yourself in an uncomfortable position. Uh, in a new place to, to grow and learn and learn about yourself as a leader. Um, but I, but I, I want to lead change. I look for that because I know I can do it and I'm confident in my abilities to get there. That being said, <laughs> is this a disclaimer? That being but said, wait, there's more. <laughs> I also, I, I, I can certainly, uh, <coughs> I have no problem with following change. Mm. Um, when someone sets a far reaching vision and has impeccable values behind that vision, um, and I'll use Trevor Linden as an example. Um, we would go to war for, for Trevor. I mean, there is such a terrific vision around where the team is headed. I mean, it is as exciting as it gets. And so that's an example of, okay, like when, when there's a leader setting a far-reaching vision and has impeccable values that we're all going to operate to get there, that's an exciting place. And so, yeah, I, I would say I'm probably a... That was my question. Is yeah. So Chris said he was... Probably an early with a sprinkling of middle. Are you the same? Then? I would say I'm the same. Yeah, I might ask a few questions, but I'm not <laughs> going to like dive into the pool and say, "Okay, what? How do I swim?" So think of a change you led in your past, or just one you know of, right? Where you look at it, and you and maybe something you've read about. Um, what might have been done differently if they'd actually thought about the different types of adapters? Because I do get this question all the time. They're like, what's wrong with my team? They're all apathetic. And it's not. They're the two early adapters going, look at me, look at me. 
The middle guys are still doing their thing, walking around. The late ones are like, this will never work. It's like the last six ideas this bozo tried to do. Well, I, I think um, from my past, I mean, I think um, you might spend a little bit more time trying to understand people instead of making quick judgments of, oh, this person's not going to get on the bus versus this person who has absolutely bought a ticket yeah. and is saying, let's let's pack our bags and go. Um, all three are valuable to have on a team. Yeah. And it just might take more time to get that the later adopters. But, but they might have fresh ideas and they might know the system better than others. They might have been around longer to, to help you get there. Oh, they hardly ever change jobs. It's too much of a change right, right there. And that's right. why they have so much depth in the organization. They've often been there quite a long time. So I do think that they're... they're uh, taking more time with those people is important. Um, but you asked, you asked a little bit about referencing an example and yeah. I really, I really love, I mean, Steve Jobs that like I read his book a couple times, uh, his, his, uh, biography and, and he had this thing called the reality distortion field where he would set this far reaching goal and, um, almost no one would believe it was possible, um, until people started to say, okay, here we go. And, and before they knew it, they were doing it. And it was just like this, this alternate reality that created so many other cool products and cool things. But unless, but if he didn't live on the edge with these, these kind of thinking, then, then it, like, it was tough to get there. So I do think, um, you do need people around you that, um, can, can eventually get their buy-in who are the strong leaders amongst the group and say, okay, they might've asked the questions, they might've data the process, but eventually they're going to get on. They're going to believe in that far-reaching idea or vision that you have for the group. Because eventually the talking has to end and you need to get yeah. there. You need to go. Oh, absolutely. So so I, I find that fascinating. Like within Apple, they had that model where it was just like, wow, here's this reality distortion field. Now, of course, and, no one had worked for Steve himself because he was a bit of a jerk as a person. But well, yeah. he was a genius. So that was his genius was the technology genius. It wasn't right? the people leadership. He that's was for not sure, people right? leadership. No. This is about people leadership. Yeah. So it's different important to differentiate strategic like technological or product leadership versus people leadership this we're talking about let's let's be clear is about the people stuff but you have somebody if someone has the skills to combine both it's that's mad awesome yeah what about you chris i remember a uh, a meeting i i the most uncomfortable meeting I may have ever been a part of. And it was at a, a company I was working for. And I was there for, as far as careers go, a short time. It just ended up not being the place uh, for me. And I moved on. But it was a, a very well-respected company that had been around for a long time. And there was a, I, w- I, I took the job that I had there as an opportunity to really grow. Because it was... Um, it wasn't maybe the thing that got me up every day, but the opportunity to work with people from around the province and be part of a company that um, had an integral piece of, of making the province um, what it is today was was exciting for me. So I, I I had this initial meeting with this group, and there was there were people from around the province, and I remember um, between myself and and my my boss who had um, started there and, and st- started the change and started this sort of new strategy of communication uh, to a group that had been there a long time. I was the one who was going to work directly with this group 
to communicate differently than anyone had probably really done before. And uh, so here I am in this meeting in this sort of large boardroom with, I would say, 27 people. And we went around the room and everybody put up, you know, how long have you been with the company? And it was 13 years, 14 years, 18 years, 30 years. <laughs> I'd been there for two weeks and I'm supposed <laughs> to be this leader implementing change. And it was an uncomfortable change um, for the organization as a whole. And uh, I guess what I, if I could, one of the things we were looking at talking about today was if you could kind of rewind the tape and do it mm-hmm. again. How would you do it differently? And I wouldn't have invited everyone to a meeting to get to know you kind of a thing and introduce sort of an idea for change or an idea for a new way of doing things in front of a group that I respected and I still um, get along with many of these people. But I'm sure if I was in the in their seat looking at this, like, who is this guy? <laughs> Wet behind the ears. Yeah. And, of course, there was, like, looking at our early, middle, and late, so there was a few people around the room who were nodding excitedly, yep. a few people scratching their heads, and then a few people sitting back going, Oh, yeah, you, you get the third, about? the third, the third split. And, yeah. just, and it's not by gender or education or age. They're just always present there, so that must yeah. have been, yeah. I'll never tough. forget that meeting. And, you know, you say, okay, thanks, everybody, and everyone leaves. And like, <laughs> That was really tough. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. You can feel it in the room. Oh, yeah. Dead silence. Yeah, I think, I think we've all launched in our early years. So you guys have a different job than most of us because you are dealing with the public. And everything is so public, right? It's, you want to have the transparency, but too much transparency, you get hung out to dry. Not enough transparency, you get hung out to dry. It really feels like, you know, caught between a, what is it, the fire and the frying pan, as it were. So you must, of course, get push-pulled between these three types of adopters. You know, the early people, they're like, oh, I want to see changes all the time, and how come you're not telling us about them? And I mean, not just... Like fans, I'm not just talking about fan base, but, but any of the public. And it, it could be other external in the league, like people just outside the Canucks franchise. And then you got the middle people that are asking all sorts of questions. They're coming around, but it's a little bit so. And then the late. I remember when this used to be amazing. Just make it like how it was. Are you old enough to do this job? Where are the people that we used to know? Like, how do you... How do you balance that? It's a very good question. <laughs> it's a very good question. It is. It is. I mean, we have, um, I can speak as far as our, our, our customers go, our season ticket members. I mean, we have a lot of um, members that have been with us so long. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and their business is, is uh, so important. And their support has been tremendous for the organization. So we have to recognize that. We have to listen to them. We have to adapt our some of our business or maybe how we communicate with them um, with with that group. Um, that being said, we, we have to um, also look to, at ways that we can attract new fans and new customers, and and we can be creative and, and look for ways to um, to uh, attract some of those more early adapters. So we've done things like opened a new sports bar. 
um, that's going to be the coolest. It is the coolest. It is the coolest. You you were just there. I was just there. It is the Um, coolest. (laughs) It's going to be the best place to watch sports in in Vancouver. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it is such a unique space and and new. It's 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 really cool. We we also yeah the early adapters are going to be. That's why I was there. And and we also have we have a, a a suite called the the Encore Suite that includes all food that includes. Um, concerts and hockey and that's a completely new product that we've never had before and so that's like you you walk through there and you can I mean just some of the conversations you can tell these people are early adapters and and like want the newest coolest shiniest um, um, thing so so it 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 forces us to be on top of our game it forces us to listen to understand the segments of, of our customer base Listen to them most effectively. Build connections in different ways with them, and um, it's not up to us to tell them, "Okay, this is the way we're going to communicate with you." It's it, we have to um, learn and adapt. And yeah, early and, is early. Yeah, and and so that's done in a whole host of ways, and um, and so it's an ongoing process. And and I'll tell you this: the more the earlier I can incorporate or we can incorporate Chris into these conversations <laughs> when we have an idea or like. I think he speaks to okay. Here's what our fans might might say, or or like we have to have a pulse as far as what's what what people might say. So the more we can engage Chris and his team into uh, early ideas, the healthier I think our, our our rollout will be. So Chris, or either of you guys, how how do you balance then the late adapters, like the people that are always yearning for yesterday, like the tried and true, quote unquote tried and true. And you know, ironically, sometimes we look back at tried and true, and it wasn't even that effective. Thinking not just of this, but I'm thinking of, of a whole lot of things. But how do you how do you speak to that? I think generally, if I think about late adapters. Whether it's the fans that you're talking about or in other situations, I think the the way to, to work with them is to work with them, like work yeah. directly with them, right, as much as you possibly mm-hmm. can. And to ask their opinion, get their thoughts, um, not that you wouldn't with any other group, but they... They're, as we've talked about, they're the group that might immediately say, and they've had some success in their, in their ways, but they may be the first one to say, that's just not going to work, or oh, that's going to take too much time or whatever it might be. So I, I think working face-to-face with them as much as possible uh, is is very advantageous. Um, when you have a group, a fan base, and you're talking about that segment of fan base, that can be tricky, right? Because you don't often have the, the luxury of spending one-on-one time with that larger group of people. So you have to pick your communications channels um, carefully as well whether it be a town hall meeting where you can spend time after Trevor for example could spend time mm-hmm. with a hundred season ticket members and then we we dedicate um, you know enough time at the end so he's not sort of waving and leaving the room right. he's staying back and working directly with maybe maybe some people who um, might be a late adapter and, and need some time to understand the direction and those kinds of things so the, yeah, working with that late adapter group is as much FaceTime and one-on-one you can do yep. seems to be the way to go. Absolutely. And it leads back to where, you know, something that you said, Mike, in the beginning when you were first starting and, and you, you were that new guy at the table and, and it was all about the people. 
it's always all about the people, you know. You take your time, you lean into this. Nobody gets punished for being late. Nobody gets punished for being middle. Nobody gets punished for being early. Because they all bring gifts to the table. And I think that's, that's the important thing. And these approaches you're talking about are really, really great. And I think they'll really work. So our last question. Here's here's the fantasy question zinger. here. This, <laughs> there are no zingers. There are no zingers. Is when you were thinking about leadership long before you were a leader. Go back to long before, and you thought about what a really great leader was. How has that changed from then to now? I, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike, over to you. Mike, um, exactly. I'm not sure it's changed drastically since I first. I'm talking first about like when you were 14 versus now. What did you think? I, I tell you what. I, I mean, I think um, back when I started working. I mean, I don't know, was it 18 years? When ago, you were a bad boy, like that. yeah. When I was a bad boy for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, I think you respected a title, and you were uh, expected to show, show respect and, and be polite, and and um, but. I, I guess, you know, I, I would say, you know, I, I, I would consider myself like I, I'm a student of leadership. Like I love this yeah. stuff, stuff and I've read a lot of books. I've been around a lot of different types of leaders. And through that, I think I can say that I, um, I can recognize people who aren't as good of leaders a lot quicker, who don't possess kind of those, those, uh, those leadership skills. I, I've been really lucky in my career. And I'm so thankful that I, I've had tremendous leaders um, throughout my career, right up until like to present day with the Canucks. Um, uh, when I first started uh, as a ticket salesperson, the CEO of our company um, was and is a, a visionary, and he ran a company with impeccable values. He ran a company that was a meritocracy that allowed for performance to dictate opportunity, to dictate what your compensation would be. Um, he forced us to think differently, to think bigger, to come up with new ideas that was we're going to grow enterprise value. Like those are exciting. That's those really are exciting. exciting. People I was like, I'm around. giving up the company. I'm going yeah. there. <laughs> well, I mean, and and um, and consequently, the people underneath him and who are yeah. leaders, like that, trickles down as well. Well, they set the bar, and so that that kind of permeates through a culture, and and uh, values permeate through a culture, and and so. You know, my, my ideas of, of leadership, good leadership, hasn't, haven't necessarily changed, but they've certainly become more concrete as, as they've shown themselves, um, mm. as I've, as I've um, risen up the ladder and, and had more direct contact with some of those people. Um, I feel extremely lucky to have, have learned from some just some terrific uh, leaders along the way. Jeez, Try right. following that up. <laughs> That was amazing. Chris, Chris is like, and I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> exactly. Jeez, I was just thinking like, oh, I got You should have planned this. I'll just give some kind of like average answer and then you could just knock it out of the park. Um, I don't know how to follow that up other than to say, uh, one, I guess the question is how has your idea of successful leadership changed before you were a leader. So you asked, yeah. like, what was, what did you think then of leadership now. at 14? So when you're younger, or at least when I was younger, I looked at leaders as they have all the answers, right? Yes. And they must know what they're doing. And, yeah. and, and now, uh, being in a position where I have to be a leader, 
of course you know all the answers. <laughs> but, of course, yeah. Uh, of course. On the odd time that you don't, um, on every day that ends in Y, you, I, I guess the one piece, I worked at Lululemon mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And most people know the company by the products and the stretchy pants, and, and it was great. And I was at a position in my point in my career where I needed to, ch- I needed to change myself. And I took a, a, a sort of, I guess, a, a smaller role there just because I wanted to find a place that fit me. And I fit, um, I fit, I fit it. I fit there. I fit those pants. And, uh, <laughs> but one of the things they talk about uh, there is if they weren't a retail company, they'd be a leadership company because they really, uh-huh. em- they really are about teaching and empowering their uh, employees to, to go for their goals and they give you the tools to be able to do these kinds of things and if if you're the kind of person who eats that stuff up and I did and I do um, it's a wonderful place and I guess my point is um, the one thing I took from there that I, I hope I um, I hope I I act on I hope I bring to to this company is to empower those around you to come up with the ideas and to grow and to give them experiences. And I hope if someone on my team happens to come across and listen to this, they would agree that I do that. Um, but I really try to try to do that. I try not to be the person, the dictator type leader who um, comes up with the idea himself on the way to work and then says, okay, everybody, here's the way we're going to do it. I hope to be the kind of leader who... Um, can help set maybe where the direction or the vision is on where we all need to go and then empower and enroll the group into coming up with the ideas on how to get there. Um, I hope I'm that kind of leader. We'll see. But uh, that's, that's kind of, a, I think, to your question, what has changed since, since I was 14 and looked upon leaders? I thought they knew all the answers, and I know that they don't. Um, and that's why I, I try to empower the group to help come up, come to the table with the answers. And I think... My final ramble here is that I think if you do that, you enroll the group in a different kind of way than to say, I have the answer, let's just do this. They feel like they're part of the solution, hopefully, and you'll, you'll hopefully get a group of people who will be behind that purpose and you'll ultimately achieve a greater result. Well, heck, that was awesome. That's pretty good. <laughs> Those are, you guys, yeah. yes, I, I think you held yourself very well on that one. Thank you so much, you guys. This has been so interesting hearing, you know, about your thoughts on this and your background and sort of giving us a glimpse there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Catherine and her work, you can read more online at www.spearheadexecutivecoaching.com. If you'd like to leave any comments or ask any questions about the episode, write to info at spearheadexecutivecoaching.com. Thanks again for joining us.